across the country, from coast to coast, uniting hundreds of college and high school radio stations. This is College Radio Day 2016. It's Jeremiah from the Lumineers, and I'm here to tell you that we support College Radio Day. I'm SoCon, and I support College Radio. Hey, what's up? I'm Patrick Stump, and I support College Radio Day. Hi, we're Beirut, and we support College Radio Day. Hey, guys, this is Avicii, and I support College Radio Day. Hi, I'm Chris. And I'm Johnny. Hi, I'm Guy. And I'm Will. We're from the band Coldplay, and we support College Radio Day. You are listening to College Radio Day. The day when college and high school radio stations come together. Hey, this is Dave Mustaine from Megadeth, and I support college radio because without college radio, Countdown to Extinction probably wouldn't be a double platinum record. For several days, David Ellison and I went into the Capitol Records Tower and pounded the phones, calling all the college radio stations in the U.S. So I'm very grateful to college radio. You guys rock. You've made your choice. You voted with your ears. Join us in supporting College Radio Day 2016. This is WCAS Radio at MSU Denver, and we approve this message. Hey, this is Mustache Pete from Dolphin Radio, WXDRLP, Delgado Community College, way down in New Orleans, checking out College Radio Day with your mom and them. Yeah, you're right. Hey, this is WMCX, the X 88.9 FM from Monmouth University in West Long Branch, New Jersey. And we are celebrating College Radio Day 2016. Hi, this is Lauren Savisky, production director for 90.5 WERG at Gannon University. United with stations all across the country and igniting the soul of college radio. WERG, Erie, PA. Welcome to this special College Radio Day simulcast, featuring exclusive interviews with Sean Lennon, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, Lee Lochnane from the legendary rock band Chicago, Nikki Silva from NPR's The Kitchen Sisters, rock singer-songwriter Matthew Sweet, shout-outs from Grace Potter and Alanis Morissette, and messages from dozens of college radio stations across the country. We also feature our special keynote documentary, The Soul of College Radio. Produced and narrated by Paul Crutcher from XLR Radio at Lander University, South Carolina. And finally, we will also have a special report from the White House, as, once again, college radio students interviewed government officials about topics of importance to the students in a trip organized by the College Radio Foundation. I'm Len O'Kelly, advisor of WCKS Radio at Grand Valley State University in Michigan. For the next hour, you will hear the very soul of college radio on this day when college radio comes together and we ignite the soul of college radio. Hey, this is Anand from Yaysayer. I used to work at the radio station when I was in college. I made some great like-minded friends and I learned about a lot of amazing music. Uh, there aren't too many radio stations left that have the freedom to do a creative and diverse programming. And we really need to support those stations that are left as much as possible, if only to avoid accidents on the road as people go insane trying to find a station that doesn't just play the same 15 songs over and over again. So, support college radio. It's a question of national highway safety. 
At the start of a new world tour to promote their latest album, Cleopatra, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers talked with the founder of College Radio Day, Dr. Rob Quick, about life on the road and the continuing importance of college radio. Back in 2008, the Lumineers played Quick Station, WPSC, at William Patterson University, when the band was known as Wesley Jeremiah. Jeremiah Freights also attended William Patterson University as a student. Since then, although the Lumineers have gone to sell millions of records around the world, they've never forgotten their humble beginnings. I, I, when I was young, I, I should have known better, and I can't feel no remorse, and you don't feel nothing bad. Did you feel pressure over this album? Did you feel that now that you are a known artist and you have a following around the world, did you feel that there was pressure because of the success of your first album? Yeah, I think I think for me, I always felt pressure. You know, even when I was at Willie P, I, I think that whenever I was working on songs, like in the practice rooms, I'd go in and work on songs all the time. And I, I think I always kind of probably took myself too seriously maybe even more back then before any success started to happen you know like you as a young artist you think you're gonna all right you're gonna write this album you're gonna make an impact in the world and then after you do that so many times you start to realize well the world doesn't care about what you're doing as much as you think they do and then um the pressure though was always immense from within so i think after the first album and the sort of okay, now we have to write the second album and come up with some sort of follow-up, you know, what do we do? Do we stay the same? Do we completely change? Or do we try to find something in the middle? I think at first I didn't think the pressure was going to get to me, and then I, I think it started to. And it wasn't so much external. It wasn't like, you guys need a single, you guys need a radio hit, or anything like of that nature. It was just, we had toured for about three and a half years all over the world in the first record that uh, we hadn't had much time to write. So the... The prospect of writing the second album was pretty daunting, you know, and I think, yeah, it was, it was pretty terrifying at first. The first couple of weeks of starting to write again with the singer Wes, it was, yeah. it was just difficult. And again, it wasn't any external pressure. It was merely internal pressure of being like, all right, well, you know, this is a big deal for yourself. I didn't think so much about the fans or how people were going to react as far as the press or things of that nature. I was just more concerned with, can you, you feel like you can still write as an individual with right. Wes? Right. Some cool stuff with an edge or some, some really like, you know, profound, cool new music. And it was tough, though. It was definitely a, it was not an easy process and it was pretty difficult at times, I think. I bet. So um, we listened back to the session that you did here when you were Wesley Jeremiah, the band, and we spoke to some of the um, people who were here and we said, so what was it about them, about you guys at that time when you were performing here? And it wasn't just the songs because you played Flowers in Your Hair and Red Hands and Scotland and I, I think a couple more, but everyone said of the bands that day you connected with the audience in a brilliant way and there was only there's less than 20 people there and that you took it very very seriously that audience connection even at that stage is that is that true to say <laughs> yeah i mean i think that we always we started out you know like literally the first couple of shows i think you have this idea where well, you're the artist and they're the audience and then you keep that you keep those separations you know you keep those separate and I don't even think that's a conscious thing that bands make. I think some bands just inadvertently have this 
there's a there's like an invisible barrier I think between fans and people on stage, and I think we became aware of that. And you know, you're you're a band, you're a nobody band, and you you're you're starting out, and nobody gives a crap about what you're doing or what you're singing about or how much you love music. None of that stuff matters to them. They want to drink a beer, they want to see something really cool, and. I think we started to realize that, and I think we started to be like, all right, well, there is this barrier. You can see people, even the way people are sitting, you can tell it's like standoffish. And I think even, yeah, as far as back then, you know, like as long ago as that is, it's like I think we were aware of trying to connect with people and not in some merely commercial or gimmick, gimmicky sort of way, like, hey, we, gotta, we have to connect in some sort of, you know, like a politician, like we have to connect with the people. I think it was more like, it was a real urge and a real sensation to be like, well, I think it's stupid to have this barrier between artists and, and the audience. And is there a non gimmicky way we can connect? And I I think, yeah, even back then, I think it was, it was important to, to feel that connection because for me, especially in a, for West too, I think a lot of our music is we're trying to write about stuff and connect with ourselves, whether it's autobiographical or whether it's, made up stories you know fiction i guess it's like it's still trying to connect and ultimately connect with other people in a, in a cool profound way and in on wikipedia and stuff like the the death of my brother josh who, who died of an overdose when he was 19 i think on wikipedia it, it, it paints this like kind of hollywood beautiful picture where it's like he died and then the band started and mm. you know it's nothing of that he died in 2001 and me and west started the band in probably 2007 but I think after, for me, losing my brother and going through that and ultimately then Wes losing his father to cancer, I think experiences like that just made us want to connect with people too, like in a very real way. I think it was like, well, other people out there are probably going through really, you know, tragic stuff or, or stuff at times. And I think it was really important for us to uh, try to extend our pain and anxiety and fear and whatever mm. into music and try to connect with people through the radio or through concerts and stuff yeah and the other thing is that you took us seriously you took college radio seriously in my last interview with you you said college radio is still really important for giving those new bands um, an early start getting some traction going do you remember saying that yeah for sure and that college radio obviously it's college radio day and it's also world college radio day uh, what, what sort of message would you give to college radio stations around the world who are supporting artists like you were at one point with wesley jeremiah yeah if anybody is listening i think it's important for for those like stations to just really take risks on bands and, and play what they think is cool. You know, don't play artists because they're told to, or don't play artists because they think that's going to become the next big thing. I think the bravest and most courageous thing a, a DJ can do is just play something that he or she thinks is really um, connecting with them on some profound level. And uh, I can't stress enough how much, any form of radio, whether it's college, whether it's mainstream, whether it's a live streaming entity, uh, how much it helped a band like us. And I think people now take for granted, well, you're in the Lumineers, that's easy. Did you, you know, you guys had it easy, but it's like, no, we didn't. Like 10 years ago, nobody, you couldn't Google our name. You couldn't, you couldn't ask G's about what our band was. You know, we didn't, we did not exist and we had to work our asses off and we still work our asses off, but things like, college radios that translates into word of mouth and that translates into people coming to shows i think it's just uh, i can't stress enough the importance of that
life is full of beginnings. Your first step. Your first kiss. Your first day of college. It's these experiences that shape you, shape you. And help you become who you are and who you're meant to be. To be. We celebrate College Radio Day. College Radio, the only medium left that celebrates the new and cutting edge. College Radio, where careers begin. Fans are discovered. And dreams fulfilled. College Radio. College Radio. Where it all begins. This year, the theme of College Radio Day 2016 is Igniting the Soul of College Radio. This theme was directly inspired by a specially created radio documentary called The Soul of College Radio, produced and narrated by Paul Crutcher from Lander University. Presented in two parts, listen now to our keynote documentary for College Radio Day 2016. The following program is a production of the Lander University Department of Mass Communications and Media Studies and XLR Lander University Radio. The Soul of College Radio. How student broadcast media changes both individuals, stations, and the communities they serve. So we're sitting in a room, there's a chair. I say, that chair's the Titanic. And if you're in a theater, you're like, okay, I got it. Chair's the Titanic. I knock the chair over, Titanic sunk. Radio is the same kind of way. I can't show you anything. I can't do anything. But I promise you, if you listen to me, I will take you somewhere marvelous. I got to play a bunch of music that, uh, that I really liked and share it with the world, you know, whoever's out there. And I think I got a call during my first show, like 2.30, 3 a.m., with a request from my favorite band. So he, and he was, he was really drunk, and he sang me the song. And I, I was so lucky. And they said, we, we, we don't need any DJs. We have plenty of DJs. Uh, can you do news? I said, yeah, I can do news. All right, come in tomorrow at 5.30. We'll you know, get you trained and get you on the air. Each chance to like it is your chance to get the repetition, to make mistakes without much penalty. You're not going to get fired for most college radio stations unless you do something really dumb. I uh, moved into my freshman dorm. My father helped me get the luggage up into my room and went right down to the station that day. It was a Saturday. And um, my the upperclassmen then who are now in the field, uh, one of my mentors is now a regional president for Intercom. He always jokes when he comes back to talk that uh, there was this little face at the window. <laughs> and he opened the door and let me in. Hello, my name is Paul Crutcher. I will be both producer and host for this program. You're also going to hear from some of the best voices in college broadcasting from around the country. The story of college radio is deep. It is journey and destination. It is intellectual. It has potential for deep connection between students, their peers, and their listeners. And if it's done right, it can be a lot of fun. My own journey into college broadcasting began in high school as the idea of a radio broadcasting club was formed during my sophomore year. Students would be allowed to use a local community college station on Saturday mornings to learn the basics of radio broadcasting. One of my classmates was Jeff Owens, now general manager of HitMix 89 WEIU-FM, the broadcasting voice of Eastern Illinois University. Ken Bino was the instructor at the time, and, you know, we talked to, he knew there were some of us that were interested in a radio club, and we, we proposed an idea to him, and he, he agreed that, you know, he would give up some of his time for some of the, for, you know, future DJs, and myself, you, and a lot of us uh, went out there, and on Saturday mornings, they would give us either a half hour or an hour to kind of spin tunes on record, you know, and, 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 and be on the air, and it was, I knew I was hooked then. Chris Wheatley is the general manager for radio and television at Ithaca College in the Finger Lakes area of New York. 
Wheatley knew that college radio was going to be the thing for him, and events fell into place that gave him his first shot. Anyway, I did news for a while, but I noticed that, like, gee, when you do news, girls don't call you, but when the DJs are on, the phone rings off the hook, and these, you know, they're... So, um... I finally, after a few months, um, got myself on the air. It was one of these emergency things. You know, they called up, hey, can you do it? Sure. So, um, and for some reason that night, let's see, it was uh, the Doobie Brothers were playing Cornell. This is really dating me. Um, but there I am on, on the air, and all these people are coming back from the concert. Like the next day, people were like, who was that guy? Like Wheatley, Warren Kazareski otherwise known as Kaz, to his students and peers, also now serves as a general manager at a station he worked for when he was a college student. I knew about, this. I knew about the station. I, when I toured the college, I saw the station, uh, not in depth, but I knew what I wanted to do, so I knew, and that was the place, and that was where I spent too many hours as a freshman, which got me in a little academic trouble. What was the atmosphere like in those days? We were, we were carrier current only. We didn't have the FM yet, and... They still structured it professionally. We didn't have a general manager like I am now. We had an advisor who stopped by with a cup of coffee maybe once a week just to check in. But it was the students took on the responsibility. And what I didn't know at the time immediately was they had already applied and had an FM task force to, to get an FM license. And so that was the seriousness of how they took things, even though it was only carrier current. Um, you know, we were on the air 24 hours, and, you know, we ran public affairs programming just like... And the whole idea was we're going to pick up this carrier current station and just programmatically move it to the FM when we got it. Sarah Lamanchek is a producer for National Public Radio and programming advisor for Radio K, the student-run radio station of the University of Minnesota. Her passion for student media and specifically radio storytelling is infectious. And Sarah says she somewhat stumbled into this business. Um, I fell into radio. I, I started out um, wanting to be a poet and then moved to playwriting and was in New York when I got my first job in radio. Had been working in theater in New York City and, and fell into, got out of luck, hook and crook, a job producing a national show at WNYC Radio. And I just, I found my voice. I found everything I ever wanted in when you write for radio, when you think about radio, it is so much like theater because I can't take you anywhere. TV can take you everywhere. It can show you everything like a movie. In a play, you have to agree for the rules that are set up, right? So we're sitting in a room, there's a chair. I say, that chair's the Titanic. And if you're in a theater, you're like, okay. I got it. Chair's the Titanic. I knocked the chair over. Titanic sunk. Radio is the same kind of way. I can't show you anything. I can't do anything. But I promise you, if you listen to me, I will take you somewhere marvelous. And I fell in love with that form of storytelling, with that communication. And it surprised me, but I've never looked back. For myself, that stint in high school would lead me to WLKL, broadcasting from the basement of the library on the Lakeland Community College campus in my hometown. Mattoon, Illinois. In that radio studio, I would finally host my own radio show. I would make mistakes, have dead air, mispronounce the names of prominent world leaders during newscasts, and mispronounce one of the most famous bands of all time. And you are in the midst of another Battle of the Bands competition here on 90FM. Well, that's one song apiece for Cleden's Clearwater Revival and Bruce Springsteen. we got two more to go from each. And then after 9.30, you call in and tell me who you want to win tonight's Battle of the Bands. I do have one final basketball score for you. Cleden's? Really? I couldn't say Creedence Clearwater Revival. 
But that's the thing about college radio. No one is born a broadcaster. It's going to take time, and everyone has room to improve. Those carpeted walls and tile floor and shelves full of records, that was my safe place to learn the skills I would need to serve my professional career. Mike Brad, who is now associate professor and associate chair at Eastern Illinois University, was my first general manager. I think I, I tried to kind of emulate what it had been. Well, I took over for the person that was the instructor when I, when I was there, so pretty much it was running the... The Lakeland that I knew as a student was pretty much what I walked into there. Um, the difference was the biggest. The biggest challenge actually was technology. Was that the transmitter at the time was very, very old and unreliable, and so we had a lot of transmitter trouble. I mean, you crossed your fingers some days. We signed off in those days and came back on at six in the morning, and you crossed your fingers that it was going to come on. I, I remember that real vividly. Is it gives students first, first and foremost, a chance to see if they like this. Because if you don't like it, you need to run away from it, get away, because it's not going to be a good experience for you long term. So find out if you like it. And I think a lot of college radio programs do that, okay? They, you'll, you'll find that out. At the same time, hopefully, you're kind of learning to do it the right way. But that takes a lot of time um, and a lot of repetition. It's, it's a lot like learning the piano or a musical instrument. You're not very good when you start, and you've got to take time to get good, and there's just no way around that. Just repetition, doing whatever it is, you know, board shifts or sports uh, broadcasts or producing commercials or whatever it is you do. So you get a chance to like it. It's your chance to get the repetition, to make mistakes without much penalty. You're not going to get fired from most college radio stations unless you do something really dumb. To me, that's the real advantage. And then to build a resume tape that if you decided, I do like this, and I, hey, I'm not too bad at this one thing, a resume tape to be able to go and get a job with that. You know, doing that for a while, and then the opportunity arose to have my own show with my good friend Natalie. And, you know, we got in the studio and had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> but it was really awesome to just sort of learn, you know, firsthand in school, and you're there to learn and to just be able to push buttons and and decide what you're going to play and decide what your content for your show was. It was really awesome to just have that creative freedom and just very, like, quickly. You just you just get in the studio and you and you just learn. And, and it's, you know, you're going to press the wrong button and you're going to have dead air here and there. But you can't learn that, you can't learn that, you know, without having college radio. That's Ashley Ferry. She worked for me. I'm now a general manager for a college radio station, XLR Lander Radio the broadcasting voice of Lander University in Greenwood, South Carolina. We're a small school with less than 3,000 students, but we have a strong college radio presence, and our students have gone on to successful careers, including Ashley. You know her better as Brooke Taylor. She's afternoon drive host on Radio Disney, heard in every major market in the country, and on Sirius XM. Another thing you should know about my first college radio experience has to do with the people I surrounded myself with. That studio... The bullpen, the lab, the production room is where I hung out and formed relationships with some of the coolest people a 19-year-old could ever meet. Coming up in part two of The Soul of College Radio. But then I met a couple of people who seemed pretty cool and seemed to be interested in the same kind of things I was. Is that It is that in the best sense of the word what a fraternity or a sorority is supposed to be. It's this group of people who are all connected and all share something really personal. Um, 
and she came back to visit with her fiance and I was coming down the hall from a meeting and as I was opening my door um, she turned around to her fiance and says this is the office that saved my life we'll continue with the soul of college radio right after this this is college radio day Radiotopia. Welcome to Fugitive Waves from PRX. In the world of audio storytelling, one of the most respected and critically acclaimed duos are the Kitchen Sisters. Davia Nelson and Nikki Silva are Peabody award-winning independent producers that have created such programs as Lost and Found Sounds, The Hidden World of Girls, and Fugitive Waves, and have been featured on NPR, the BBC, and the CBC. Nikki Silva joined Peter Creighton from WXAV in Chicago to discuss how college radio is at the forefront of broadcasting trends and why college broadcasters need to be supported. You had mentioned college radio and how your your partner, uh, you know, first began at at a college radio station. Obviously, working at a college radio station, overseeing it. Um, how do you think college radio plays a role into the greater? media landscape, whether it's uh, traditional broadcasting radio or uh, this new digital revolution that we're underway with with podcasting? Oh, I think it's huge. I think it's huge. It's not only huge for the students, which I I do think it is, because it's a great launching pad for whatever you want to do. I mean, you don't have to want to be a radio producer or a disc jockey to learn so much from being involved in radio. I think it's great for the institution. I think it's uh, it's a set of ears, you know, that's really to the ground. It, you guys are on the cutting edge. You know, the whole world is looking at the next generation and hoping and uh, praying for um, answers and for ideas. And I think that college radio is just an incubator, a great place for people to be experimenting and, uh, you know, pushing it out there. It doesn't matter if it doesn't work. It really, really doesn't. It's the experience. It's the it's the process. It's learning how to present your ideas, how to tell a story in a way that's going to be convincing and, you know, really influence people. Even if it's a music show, you know, just the way you talk about the music, the way you draw people in and educate them about the music, convince them to listen and to push their boundaries, you know, those things... Those are huge. And public speaking. And, I mean, I can't speak. I, I'm just a big fan of college radio. Our, our college radio station here in Santa Cruz, KZSC at UCSC, where Davia started, is great. I mean, they play music and they have talk. And they. I, I, I teach up there, you know, every quarter or so. I, I go up and do a class with the kids that are doing the, the shows. And I learn so much from them. I mean, they've got their ear to the ground and they know what's going on so i say yay yay on college radio you are listening to college radio day hey there i'm danny Lataba from 89.1 kbhu and 90.7 kjkt the buzz broadcasted out of black hill state university in south dakota and you are listening to college radio day wnyo located in oswego new york 88.9 fm Laker Radio, your way. We're the Hot Yoga Girls, and we support College Radio Day, and especially WMUH Allentown at 91.7 FM and worldwide on the web from Muhlenberg College. What's up, College Radio? This is Ethan Ross on Z98.7 FM, the student-run radio station at Piedmont College in Demers, Georgia. 
where we put the rad in radio. And today, we are celebrating with college radio stations across the country. Hello from WREK Atlanta, Georgia Tech's student-run radio station that proudly broadcasts 100,000 watts of quality, diverse music. Happy College Radio Day! One of the unsung heroes of the Athens, Georgia music scene of the 1980s and 90s is Matthew Sweet. He's been a member of such groups as The Thorns, Oh OK, and Community Trolls, which also included REM lead singer Michael Stipe. Ruta Spencer from WXAV in Chicago spoke with Sweet, and he enthusiastically discussed the importance of college radio. When you came out with the, the record Girlfriend, that came out in, I think, like, 91? That's correct. Yeah. So was, like, I mean, I would like to think that college radio supported Matthew Sweet back then. I mean, what are oh, your yeah. thoughts on college radio? I mean, it's still around. Well, well, that's the thing. Like, I don't really know college radio now, I would say, but I would hope it's like it always was, which is a place where people actually played stuff they liked. <laughs> um, that's so rare now, of course. You know, I'm sure it's probably only on college campuses. It was a huge deal. Like, when I was a teenager and the groups I liked, when they started making it, like, I think of R.E.M., because um, I knew those guys when, when I was really young. And they when they got in the back of Rolling Stone, they would have a, a college chart, top ten. And when I remember when they got to number one on the college chart. You know, but it was like the stuff we liked was only on the college chart in the right. back. Mm-hmm. And even as Girlfriend became successful, it was very much college radio support. And what they there was a magazine called CMJ that was like the gold standard of college radio tracking and everything. And the guy who signed me at my label had run CMJ at one point. So he was really tight with college age people. And the fans, even in the record industry of the record, tended to be the younger A&R people. The older people didn't quite get it, you know. But because it, it went well on college radio, it got up to the top of that. And then they were able to get it on some alternative radio and rock radio. And, and what we witnessed happen was right around that time, you started to get stuff off the college charts starting to make this new sort of realm of radio. And then there was just a ton of stuff that came along with me, around me, after me. And it became what we knew as alternative rock radio, which at the time was super fresh sounding, but also a really wide range of stuff, all kinds of different groups. You know, you could have a country type thing or like XTC from England or like, you know, Husker Du or The Replacements or, you know, other things that were a lot different. And so you kind of had this wonderful, the stations themselves would be particularly good in a place that where uh, that was working really well. As the 90s went on, I mean, all I remember what really changed is stuff became more like Pearl Jam imitation bands, and then it kind of that moment of the sort of screaming rock, like Limp Biscuit. I don't know what you call that genre exactly. But you know what? I don't know how old you are, but it was this time when everything became that, and mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to fathom what it was or whatever. Then it became adult alternative or uh, type stations, but they tend a little more, or used to, um, tend a little more toward a kind of a Americana sort of thing. But, you know, college radio is still pretty important. We still get a lot of young bands who look to us to, you know, play their songs because no one else is. That is awesome. Yeah, because no one else is. And right. That was the best. And going to college <laughs> campuses, you know, because it's like more outlaw. It's not like, you know, super serious. and. I always dug that, and if I 
have time, I still sometimes go. It's nice to know from you that it's going strong because it, it's the thing that no one will ever stop it being populist, you know? Across the continent and heard around the world, this is the day we all come together. Still to come in this special program, Lee Lochnane from the legendary rock band Chicago. A special shout-out from Alanis Morissette. Our report from the White House. The concluding second part of the Soul of College Radio documentary and our keynote interview with Sean Lennon. We'll be right back. Hi, this is White House Press Secretary Josh Ernest, and you're listening to College Radio Day. This is College Radio Day. KRUX 91.5 is stoked to be a part of College Radio Day while celebrating 27 years of broadcasting through New Mexico State University. Hey, College Radio, this is Aggie Radio at 92.3 KBLU-LP in Logan, Utah. This is Matt Taylor of WWLR 91.5, The Impulse in Lindenville, Vermont, Linden State College's radio station, and we're proud to support College Radio Day. Hey, it's Felix, and I'm with UTA Radio on utaradio.com, and I think College Radio Day is neat because it gives the youth a voice. Hi, I'm Mr. Modular. Hey, I'm Baby G. What's up? It's DJ No Request. And I'm DJ Yasmin. Sending you aloha from K2H 90.1 FM, broadcasting from the University of Hawaii at Manoa, all the way from Honolulu. And this is College Radio Day. What's up? I'm Jake from WXOU 88.3 in Auburn Hills, Michigan. I love college radio more than cookies love milk. Mmm, happy college radio day. What's up? I'm Kenny from 88.3 WXOU in Auburn Hills, Michigan. I love college radio because I hate commercials. Happy college radio day. Hey everyone, WMSV 91.1 FM from the campus of Mississippi State University proudly celebrates College Radio Day. We return now to the concluding second half of The Soul of College Radio, our special keynote documentary. Once you walk through the doors of College Radio, life changes for many students. It is a true immersive community. And many of our interview subjects for this piece shared similar stories of finding a place to fit in, a true sense of belonging on their college campuses. I'm not like these other kids. I don't drive a new car and I don't like disco music. And so I almost thought maybe I should um, withdraw and think about doing something else. Um, But then I met a couple of people who seemed pretty cool and seemed to be interested in the same kind of things I was. And we would do stuff. I mean, we were radio nerds. We would take... um, like albums that would come in that week and take them to somebody's house and, and have like drop the needle, talk it up to the vocal contest. And there were times, you know, working over uh, school breaks or summer when we would be really understaffed, but we felt, um, and nobody told us we had to do this, but we're 24-7, 365, and nothing's changing that. We don't have automation, but we're going to figure something out and we did occasionally like run these tapes at three and three quarters these big huge things that would go like three hours so somebody could like get some sleep um but the you know 
being with a group of people interested in the same kind of things, working toward a common goal, um, was then and continues to be, I think, a big... Nathan Hewitt is the student general manager for WRFL, the campus station at the University of Kentucky. I met Nathan in 2014 when he was leading a very informative session about college station management at the CBI convention hosted that year in Seattle, Washington. Nathan's major in school is in the arts, but not necessarily radio broadcasting or mass communications. That is the case with many of our students and students at colleges and universities across the country. I asked him about the transition from the arts into his role at UK. To a certain degree, I mean, maybe not. I didn't have any idea at that point that I was going to be general manager, uh, but I had some idea that this was something I wanted to do for the rest of the time I was at University of Kentucky, for sure. And kind of, I came to CBI, and I think that really had, uh, which is a radio convention, and that had a big impact on my idea of what I wanted to do at the station. And... um, really how intellectual this can be and how uh, powerful this can be and at that point I decided that I think I wanted to I thought I wanted to do something larger WRFL uh, has 17 student directors and about 100 um, DJs on staff Um, that I believe that includes the directors there on air 24-7 365 um, with a live DJ and have been since 1988 um, and in 1988, it kind of came out of a newspaper article in the school newspaper about how much radio sucked in Lexington. And so a bunch of people just came together because of that article and created it. I think if I hadn't ever joined the college radio station, I would have been pent up for the most part inside of this UK campus where I'm just talking to other students all the time. But through WRFL, I mean all these community members. So I'll I'll remember being a part of the Lexington culture rather than just this sort of collegiate um, business. And um, I'll remember the people I work with, of course, more than anyone, these kind of outlandish people who talk about these strange artists and musics that I've never heard of before. And then I talk to them about strange artists and musics they have never heard of before. And it's it's so non-judgmental right in this place where everyone has a different idea of what good music sounds like and is okay with everyone else's idea as well. That you get to help kids work their way through those first stories and re-feel that excitement. And here's why I love college radio as we're talking. When I work at a grown-up station with grown-ups and you have to do a story that requires you to be not in your pajamas watching CSI at 11 o'clock at night, right? You're just, you're, they're livid. You're like, I have, they, and you talk to kids and you send them out in their first story and it's 11 o'clock at night and they are literally shaking with excitement. Like, I get to interview that guy? And you're like, yeah. And when I get with kids working at a student a couple years ago and she was writing all this language about her hometown and it was it was flowery and it was purple and it was long and it was full of clauses and we finally, we were talking and talking and got down to what you would say in radio to describe her town and she was, she was just like, well, it's the one with the Walmart. And I said, yes, that's the moment. That's what you write. My town is the one with the Walmart. You can see it. You can see those little towns where it's the one main road through, and then you know that yours is the one with the Walmart. That means that there's no other Walmart for towns and towns and towns. It means that for 100 miles in any direction, there's nothing, right? It tells you everything, and it's so sparse. And when she hit on that, her face just glowed, and she's like, oh my God, that's it. And I'm like, yes. And like, that's the moment for college radio. 
Because we all work with students, most everyone I spoke with for this documentary had inspirational and emotional stories about current or former students. We work with them each day, and you get to know people, their successes, their struggles. Sometimes those things play out on college radio through various forms and functions, but sometimes you don't find out the impact you've had on students until much later. One afternoon at the College of Brockport, WBSU general manager and faculty member Warren Kazareski was taking out his keys to open his office. She was uh, from day one on the suicide watch list when she got to campus as a freshman, uh, and she took a five o'clock newscast with us. And I didn't know, I didn't connect the dots originally, uh, but she knew I'd be there and sort of get her through the weekend. You know, she'd come in after the newscast was over when we just talked for a while about things and. Went on for four years. She graduated, got a job with Cats Media for a while, but uh, not, no longer in the business, which is fine. But she got engaged, um, and she came back to visit with her fiancé. And I was coming down the hall from a meeting, and as I was opening my door, um, she turned around to her fiancé and says, this is the office that saved my life. That's what it's all about. The last question I posed to most of the educational media professionals you heard during this program was a simple one. Does it matter? Does college radio still have a place? Is it still important in a world of USB drives, Spotify, and beaming satellites? It's a legitimate question. I have the sense that radio's become cool again because we had uh, we we had our radio recruitment event in a 210 seat auditorium, and with room for about 50 to stand in the back, and we had people out in the hallway for radio recruitment night, um, and that was uh, that was a bit of an eye opener. In fact, the dean. I saw her the next day. Oh, how did it go? And I said, well, we're going to need a new location for next fall because we can't fit them all in. Um, almost any time I go in the studio, there's two or three people in there, and they're all hanging out because they feel like this is a comfortable place. It's kind of like family. And, you know, that's the way it was in the 70s when I was there, and that's sort of the way it is now. And I think um, there are only good reasons to have college radio continue and you know i work with people who say you know the the fm band is going away in 10 years that'll be a a relic i don't i just don't believe that i don't stuff it's not just a radio station anymore it's actually radio stations are going to become tv stations you're going to have streaming video on your website if you don't already you're going to maybe stream you know the mike and mike show is on radio and tv live from espn why aren't we doing that same thing and so you're you're but you're not broadcasting to a channel you're broadcasting to a phone a mobile device (laughs) It's, it's, it'll be there. It, it, our jobs are going to change exponentially. Uh, the training is going to be completely different from what it is now, but the, but the basics never change. Uh, without WRFL, I think the community would look totally different. And not just because of what we do actively right now, but because of how many people have been through WRFL and are now out doing amazing things in Lexington. I think radio does a lot of, a lot of amazing things, even if you're not. Like the student I had who wants to go into psychology and be a therapist and said that he learned one of his main takeaways was learning how to make people comfortable because when you were going to interview them or you were going to have them record something in the studio they had to be comfortable or they would stutter and have a terrible voice so he learned how to make people comfortable you learn how to talk and you learn how to work through a situation 
as a team quickly. You know, when you're on the air, you're on the air. There is no redo. There's no going back. There's no waiting, aside from dead air. Like, you're on, and it's going to happen. So you learn how to problem solve, and you learn how to problem solve on the fly and quickly. You learn to work in a team. You learn how to think. And you operate at a college station like ours. You are the, you're the grown-up. If, if I got an internship at a local radio station, right, and I was a marketing intern, I would be handing out bumper stickers outside the concert door or at the grocery store. If I'm working for the marketing department at my Radio K or any college radio station, I'm figuring out where we want to go, what our marketing plan is. Do we even want stickers? Maybe we want pants, right? You're doing it as opposed to just kind of executing it. Because when I think about Radio K, and we've been here for 20 years, it's kind of like what old people used to call a Rolodex or a fraternity in the best sense of the way that you are a part of something, of an organization that now has fingers and contacts all over the media industry. WNYC, Slate, Audible. Everywhere I think I can find a Radio K alum and my students can. So whenever they're traveling or they'll call up and they'll be like, Sarah, who do we know at KQED in San Francisco? And I'm like, give me a minute and I'll find someone who can give you a tour and walk you through. I had a student who just is moving to Seattle and she's like, can I meet someone at KEXP? And I'm like, sure you can, Abby. So I set her up with a tour and she's going to start volunteer DJing there when she gets to Seattle. And I think that's the magic of college radio too. It is that it is that in the best sense of the word, what a fraternity or sorority is supposed to be. It's this group of people who are all connected and all share something really personal. College radio has been very good to me. It's been good to all of the broadcasters and educators you've heard from during this program. And our sincere hope is that for students, faculty, staff members, administration, and most importantly, the communities they serve, that college radio is a viable force for many years to come. Thank you for listening. The preceding program was written, narrated, and produced by Paul Crutcher. Original music score by Kevin Baggett. This audio documentary is a production of the Lander University Department of Mass Communications and Media Studies and XLR Lander University Radio. Hi, I'm Alanis Morissette, and I support college radio. But I won't do your homework. Please don't ask me. Hey, this is Grace Potter. Thank you for supporting College Radio Day 2016. Chicago is an American rock band who formed in 1967 in Chicago, Illinois. Lee Lochnane is an American trumpeter, flugelhorn player, vocalist, and songwriter, best known for being a founding member of the band. UTA Radio's Lance Leguez interviewed Lochnane about their earliest attempts for musical success and how college radio played a role in giving them their first break. What I found interesting was Chicago's relationship with college radio. And when that first album came out, Chicago Transit Authority, you had some some tough times actually getting some of that material played on the radio. Can you take me through that as to what happened? Yes. Uh, we, were, we released uh, probably two to three songs, and they would not play them. And the excuse they gave us was that we hadn't had a hit yet. So we went, are you kidding? How the hell are we going to have a hit if you don't play something? Right. How, how would you know one way or the other if, if it is a hit or a miss? So we decided to go back to work doing what we were doing and just playing shows. 
and we played probably every college in the country that we could find and that would have us. And so we traveled across the country, and every college had their own radio station, and they would play the entire album. And as, as it turned out, college radio back then was the beginning of FM radio, what turned into FM radio. So I, my question for you is, and, and that's, that's how the first album got through, and uh, by the time we recorded our second album, AM radio became interested in Make Me Smile, which was one of the movements off of the ballet for a girl in Buchanan on the second album, right. which covered a whole side of uh, one of the album sides. And, but they weren't going to play 14 minutes because it was a 14 minute piece. So, so we edited out, make me smile the very beginning of the song and the reprise at the end, cut out everything in the middle and spliced them together. And that was our first single. But college radio, college radio was willing to play those songs first, weren't they? Oh, yeah. The entire album. That, I mean, they were playing, and you know, everybody who came out with records at, at the time, any band, the college radio was playing the records in their entirety. It was great for every band. And, uh, you know, no matter how long the solos were, it was just very cool and very underground. And our uh, Chicago Transit Authority album was, was very underground. And ironically, when those songs became hits, those w without changing one note on any of those records, we were told that we had sold out <laughs> because all of a sudden the songs were hits. And it was, wait a minute, something's wrong here. You can't win, can you? Can't win. So we just decided to keep on working. You know, if you, if you can't win play anyway it doesn't matter you are listening to college radio day hi this is frank turner and i am proud to support college radio day peter creighton station general manager of wxav 88.3 fm in chicago and former president of college radio day earlier this year interviewed sean lennon for his new project the claypool lennon delirium during their conversation, Creighton asked Lennon what his thoughts were on college radio and the impact college radio has had on his career. What do you think is some of the roles that college radio plays in the larger musical landscape, if you will? Well, I, you know, I've, I've actually had a pretty good relationship with college, college radio from when I was young. Like the first record I did was called Into the Sun on this, on the Grand Royal label, by, uh, which is the VC Boys label, and I actually think I had like a it was like number one on the college charts for a while, like when it came out, which, you know, is probably the only one, number one I ever had and ever will have. So, you know, for me, like, it's been a sort of foundation of my whole career has been like the college scene because that's where people, first of all, programmers have a little more freedom because it's, you know, it's school, so they're kind of in control of their stations. And then, you know, the listeners tend to have more alternative tastes or be more open to different things and there's not a sort of corporate uh the, the corporations haven't infiltrated and like you know told every dj every millisecond of what they're supposed to say and which kinds of things they're supposed to ask so it's kind of you know to me it's like the the, the beating heart of american alternative you know music culture in a way and it's important you know i'm glad it still exists awesome for sure and and to kind of piggyback off of that, with the current state of affairs, with the economics of the world right now, a lot of universities are selling off their college radio stations to get some money. 
Do you have any words of encouragement or inspirations to any DJs that may be affected by this at all? Man, it's rough, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, uh, they better not be selling off the college stations. And that, that, that I feel like it's, you know, that's like the final frontier of, like, real people versus the robot corporations, you know? I don't know. I mean, if they really are doing that, I'm, 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 I'd be very sad. And, uh, you know, I guess if I was a DJ and I wanted to continue doing that, uh, uh, you know, in terms of, like, radio stuff, I, I would... I would just start my own station online or something, you know. At least there's opportunities to, like, stream your shows yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. You could do, like, a, some, I'm, you know, there's at least online opportunities now, whereas in the past you were either FM or AM or pirate radio, but at least now, you know, there's ways of getting your shows out globally where people can just listen online, like, all over the world. It's kind of cool. Like I get to listen to, you know, I get to listen to college radio or, you know, or BBC radio or NPR, like anywhere in the world. If you just get online, it's amazing. You are listening to College Radio Day. (laughs) Finally, the College Radio Foundation, organizers of College Radio Day, brought a delegation of students representing College Radio to the White House on Thursday, October 27th, 2016. The students, currently enrolled at 10 different universities across the nation, are members of college radio stations participating in the November 4th College Radio Day. The participants met with members of the Obama administration to discuss important issues relevant to current college students. More than once, the discussion turned to the importance of college radio in giving students a voice and a head start for their future career. Present in the delegation and producer of this special report is station manager for WMSC at Montclair State University, Juan Contla. On October 27, 2016, College Radio Day and the College Radio Foundation visited the White House to discuss important issues concerning all college students and why college radio is still a valuable asset for college campuses. Ten schools from eight different states were in attendance, including William Patterson University, WPSC-FM, St. Xavier University, WXAV-FM, University of Texas at Arlington, UTA Radio, University of Colorado, Boulder, Radio 1190, Texas Tech University, KTXT-FM, East Stroudsburg University, WESS-FM, Newman University, WNUW-FM, Grand Valley State University, WCKS-Radio, Boston College, WZBC-Radio, and Montclair State University, WMSC-FM. We began our day with Secretary of Education John King and Director of the White House Domestic Policy Council and Senior Advisor to President Obama, Cecilia Munoz, to discuss the concern of college affordability. And I'll just start us out, one, by just saying how glad we are to have you here. I've been here since the very first day. I started the day after his first inauguration, and he's been really focused, like a laser, really from the very first moment, uh, on education overall, and this is an area where we've done lots and lots of work and, and I think have a lot to show for it. But also, he's been very focused on higher education. I mean, this is a guy who, a few, just a few years before he was sworn in as president of the United States, he and the First Lady were still paying off their, their student loans. So this is the, the question of how important higher education is to opportunity is very, very vivid to the president and the First Lady. It's very personal to them because I think they, would, they both say frequently that, you know, there's no way they would be where they are if it weren't for the fact that we as a society made investments in people like them and including in them specifically. Because affordability has always been a priority for the administration, there's a number of specific policy steps we've taken to make sure college day is affordable. 
increased the size of Pell Grants by more than $1,000 and more than doubled the overall investment in Pell Grants. We also, as I mentioned earlier, have taken some steps to make sure that navigating financial aid is easier. So moving the FAFSA uh, opening date up to October 1st, as we did this year. We later sat down with senior advisor Brian Deese to find out that he himself had a college radio show at WRMC 91.1 FM when he was a student at Middlebury College in Vermont. For me, college radio was mostly just a, um, a fun outlet uh, that was an opportunity for creative expression and an opportunity to challenge myself to do something that uh, I hadn't had uh, an opportunity to do before. Mr. Deese focuses on climate change, amongst other initiatives. The, the question of whether global average temperatures are increasing and whether human activity is contributing to those increases is actually, as a matter of substance, not up for debate. Climate change is a challenging issue because it is so big and it does feel in some, some ways like it's slow moving. Finally, we got to speak with U.S. Press Secretary Josh Ernest, who is familiar with college radio. Uh, there actually was a very active college radio station at Rice, uh, Rice University where I attended college. Uh, K-True was the uh, radio station there. And they um, had a reputation for being very independent, a little iconoclast. The secretary rounded off the discussion with his code on ethics and his position. There's no ethical code that I've consulted uh, in trying to handle the responsibilities of the job. I've just tried to be honest. Uh, and I think my record on that is very good. And the, yes, sometimes that means answering tough questions. And sometimes that means acknowledging facts that don't make the president look very good. Before the secretary left, he gave us a few parting words. Well, it's a pleasure to spend uh, part of my afternoon with you guys. I appreciate you making the effort to come to the White House, and I hope it's been valuable to you. And let me give you uh, 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 some credit here that uh, journalism is a tough business, and it's not for the faint of heart. Uh, but the work that you guys do on college campuses across the country uh, makes the experience, makes your communities richer, and makes the experience of your students uh, all that much more valuable, and they rely on you uh, to be a source of information. And I hope. Uh, it's, well, it's clear to me that you take that responsibility very seriously, and let me compliment you for doing that. For WMSC, Upper Montclair, 90.3 FM, the voice of Montclair State, I'm Juan Cantla. And that's it for this year. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this special program. We hope you will agree, College Radio is alive and kicking. The executive producer for this simulcast was Rob Quick and featured contributing material produced by Peter Creighton, Paul Crutcher, Lance Leguez, Ruta Spencer, Annabella Poland, and Juan Kotla, Mikey Goldenberg, Sean McDonald, and many more. Many thanks to all who contributed to this program. The program was narrated by me, Len O'Kelly. The College Radio Foundation would like to thank the following supporters of College Radio Day 2016. Broadcasters General Store, BMI, Button Punks, College Broadcasters Incorporated, Emissions Analytics, Hindenburg Systems, Intercollegiate Broadcasting System, Music Master, Radio 1190, Radio Free America, Radio FX, Real World, Spinatron, The Telos Alliance, WMSC 90.3, WSOU 89.5, and ZipWhip. For more information about College Radio Day and the College Radio Foundation, please visit collegeradio.org. This has been a special production for College Radio Day 2016. Long live College Radio.